0: Hey TJ. How's your night? Oh, it's going good. Um a lot a lot happened this week. Uh, yeah, the PlayStation announcement. There was uh just a bunch of stuff. I have have an update on my personal cloud. Haven't found the watch yet. And, uh, still no <laughs> watch, huh? Yeah, we uh had to go, you know, uh prepare the backyard for this uh this crazy weather. And yeah, busy week. So
1: oh, real quick, two things, two things. All right. So one, I, I ended up getting the watch band that I told you about last episode. You remember how we had the the real time follow up where I had the uh, I, I found the white band inside of my Apple watch box. And yes. then I told you about. Yeah. So I got my eight dollar black watch band. I'm using it so far. It's not too bad. I like it. The material feels a little bit, a little bit cheap. OK. Um, But overall, it seems durable. And so I can be happy enough with that. Cool. So. Um,
0: What is the texture of the original compared to this new one?
1: So it's almost like, think, they're both made out of rubber, but one seems almost finer than the other. Yeah. Almost velvety, which would be the apple one. Yeah. Whereas this black one almost feels a little bit grainy to the touch.
0: Huh. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the Apple one has like a, yeah, a velvety's is a good description. It, it's a smoother texture. Hmm. Yeah. What color is the Apple one? Is it white? The Apple one is white. Yes.
1: The okay. one that Jenny got, it, it just came, came with a white band, came with two of them. And, uh, that's what she used for the longest time. But I just didn't, I, I don't generally wear bright, bright colors. I normally just wear jeans and, you know, t-shirt. Um, And so, white just didn't look too good. So, it got black, and I'm happy with it. Looks good. It it suits me. uh, Really looks good with the black wallet that I got, per your recommendation, (laughs) Mike.
0: Now, you're a 10-year-old. You got this Velcro wallet. I
1: am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, about that PlayStation 5 announcement. Yeah. So, I have thoughts on this. Mostly the fact that it ships now with a solid-state drive. Okay. Which makes me very happy indeed, because with the Xbox One, the PlayStation Four, both have fifty-four RPM, uh, fifty-four hundred RPM spinning disc, you know, plate dr- drives. Sure. Um, making you know this eighty gigabyte game download that you may had, or you know, loading that eighty gigabyte game, all the assets and all that stuff. There's a lot of loading times. Um, so I'm I'm glad that we're now going to have solid state drives which uh, from what i read also will make game downloads smaller because a lot of game producers will duplicate assets so the drive doesn't have to sp- like spend what? more time seeking for assets yeah oh
0: so that's the, the a spider-man pack okay
1: it, it is yeah so like pl- uh, the spider-man game on ps4 had over 400 duplicated um assets and so now they take all those away you're gonna have a smaller game download and you're gonna be able to put more stuff on your ssd interesting I yeah. never
0: thought about that, but you're you're totally right. If, if you, Wow, if you need the same asset in two different spots instead of making that, that drive head seek all the way across the drive, it can be real close.
1: Yes, sir. Interesting. The other thing is that um, the controller looks pretty much exactly like the PS4. Um, PS4 controller, it has haptic feedback, which I'm curious to see how they use that. Um, but I don't know what the state of PS4 compatibility will be. Like, am I going to be able to play PS4 games on the PS5? I sure hope so.
0: Interesting. Did they describe any of their plans? I, I haven't seen the keynote or I didn't read anything about this yet. Um they they haven't really. It's just
1: been it's mostly just been spec so far. Okay. It's been uh, let's see. It's going to have eight core CPU. It's going to have ray tracing support. Ooh. Um, like hardware ray tracing support. It's going to have an SSD. And USB C okay. for the controller.
0: Okay. okay.
1: So that, that's 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 most of what we know so far. Um, it's kind of late to the game, considering that Xbox uh, Microsoft announced Project Scarlet a while a while ago that we're just now hearing about PS Five. But from what we hear, it's going to be launching December twenty twenty. December,
0: oh man, that's right around yeah. the time of my new foldable phone.
1: That's right. That's right. So a week. So a week ago we. Yeah, obviously, talked about the foldable phones. What are you thinking about it now? Like, are your thoughts the same, or (laughs) do you have any? Do you have any? I guess if are the rose colored glasses gone, or
0: are you still looking forward to it? Oh man, I. So I started listening to all the other podcasts, and they all had really good points. Um, First one being Android tablet software. This thing uh, is running Android and. The the history of tablets for Android have never been good. You're going to need to get all this these developers on board and and get them to to build some apps. It, that's going to be tough. Man, I just go back and forth. I want to I want to play with one. Like, and it, the price matters too. If it's two grand, I I just can't do this. But if it's like if it's less than a thousand, hmm, that's really tempting. Mm-hmm. And I know what the next iPhone is going to be. It's going to be just like this iPhone with a little bit better camera. And maybe it's square instead of round. I don't know. But it's not going to be, um, you know, some game changer. However, this morning I read something about um, potential AR glasses in 2020 from Apple. If, okay, if Apple releases AR glasses next year, I will stay iPhone. I'll get the glasses. Right. If they don't release AR glasses next year, and it's around the iPhone time, if we haven't heard anything or we start to just start to see leaks, if if I'm not super impressed with the leaks, then I'll I'll save up and and go the the Microsoft Surface route. So it's it's up to you, Apple, if you're listening. Just give me a, uh, some cool glasses or a foldable phone to compete with Microsoft.
1: I find that interesting because so if you end up getting a Surface phone, will you end up going? You know, all in on Windows <laughs> or will you stay a Mac? user? <laughs> okay. Or hey, go, give me one more, one, one other second. Will you stay with an iPad or will you start looking at Windows tablets? Okay. Um,
0: that Neo computer, the iPad size service tablet with the keyboard side of it and the screen side of it, they're both screens. Um, so it's just like a giant version of the Duo. That one looks tempting, too. I was looking at what it would take for me to continue to be an iOS developer, but develop on Windows. And so we were, last week, we were playing around with Xamarin, and uh, we made an app that ran on uh, both Android and iOS. The only difference in the code base was just a little bit of UI code, but everything else was was shared. And the UI code was using the same, um, same patterns that I'm currently using in iOS. So transitioning over to it is not going to be huge but it would allow me to create apps that would still run on an iPhone or this new surface tablet. So that's really cool. Um, in my personal cloud journey, I've been working towards right this week, I'm using Google and Google would be supported on both. So, um, as far as like personal information and most of my main apps, they'll be on both platforms. Um, the, the biggest thing then would be some of these niche apps that are iPad only or or iPhone only, but, and then your other question, uh, would I, you know, give up the iPad? Well, yeah, this would be, um, probably my primary computer other than, um, my desktop here to record this podcast. Uh, this would be an i, you know, the size of an iPad mini, it would be a phone. It could be both. And I have more thoughts on like, what is a computer and, you know, how you can describe that. I want to get to a little bit later if, uh, if you have time.
1: Oh yeah most certainly like that's that's something that I want to talk about um I, I one thing I want to touch on real fast before we start talking more about like w- what is a computer like when people say you know personal computer or they just say computer in general, what are people generally thinking about is i uh, you and I have talked a little bit off the air, um like when you and I were at three sixty i dev about how I don't feel like I have a home, yeah. in tech right now, right um mostly just because like I love iOS. I love macOS. For the most part, they seem polished. iOS 13 challenged that. Um, (laughs) I feel like I don't really own anything in the macOS ecosystem. I feel like this is all like Apple's world. I'm just allowed to play in it. But then I have tried Android. I have also tried um, Linux, obviously, and I just don't feel like they're there in the way of polish. I'm curious to see if Microsoft could win me back. But honestly, the fact that they're using Android like right now, having coming off the heels of using a Pixel 3a, that doesn't really give me a lot of excitement. But I'm curious to see what happens. Um, Part of me just wants to build a Linux desktop and call it a day and figure out like my ecosystem on my own. But like it's a lonely world out there and it's kind of hard when you see a lot of shiny new toys from Apple or Microsoft and you're over here trying to figure out how to get Xorg to like work right. And so you can put your computer to sleep without it crashing, you know,
0: you know, I'm with you. I, having the home is really important. Having those integrations are really important. And I I'm also in a, in a weird spot. Um, as far as like gaming, I, any game worth its salt will, you can play it on any platform you want. Um, your software, most of the, most of the big, Major players in software will be available on every platform. Oh, man, it's, it's those first parties, those Microsoft only apps or those Apple only apps that would would tie me to one platform or or the other. And I'm I'm over time. I'm starting to have fewer and fewer of those those apps. Um, Apple in the last decade, like iWork, is no longer is it's, it's hardly ever updated. Um, Apple's cloud offerings are very minimal. Um, I can't really think of many Apple apps that I use now. Um, iTunes was just um, completely removed and turned into like Finder or just an add-on for Finder in the new uh, macOS Catalina that was just released a couple days ago. So, you know, even the first party Apple apps, I'm looking at my machine right now, I guess messages and maybe Safari, but I also use Chrome. So Messages, that's kind of the only app that I have running on this Mac that's Apple-specific. Everything else is available on Windows or Android. So that's a – I don't have a home, TJ.
1: Yeah, neither one of us do. I understand that feeling. Now, that being said, um, Messages.Google.com is Google's answer to iMessage on the Mac. And it works really well. It works better than iMessages on the Mac. Like if I miss anything of coming back to iOS from Android, I miss that. No. Uh
0: one problem with that, um, if I'm on an iPhone and I want to send you some sweet emoji thing, will you see it?
1: I, I will see it. It actually turns into a video, it's just, but it's fairly re- low resolution because it's an SMS. Bummer. Um but it does work.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: You never want to say that. It does work, <laughs> you know. It doesn't instill a lot of confidence, but you know, it's it's not like it's, it's barely functional. I I have a problem right now where for some reason I can't text my wife because she's using an Android device. I can't text her from my Mac. iMessages doesn't let me do it. Don't know Oh why. yeah, there's
0: an Apple website you can go to to deregister or re-register phone numbers. So.
1: Oh, that's probably it yeah. then. Okay.
0: Ugh. Okay. Dang Apple. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, let's talk about something that's a little more exciting than not having a being ho- digitally homeless. And, uh,
1: <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's talk about what is a computer, Shane? Okay. What is it?
0: Is, is my, is my coffee maker a computer? I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been talking to people and it depends on who you talk to. If I talk to a hacker, um, everything is a computer and everything's hackable and, a Nintendo Wii can be rooted and you could do whatever you want on, on the Nintendo Wii. Your Alexa can be done or can be modified to do anything you want. Um, your coffee maker could be. Um, and then you start getting into, you'll, you'll speak with some people who are very analytical or very um, precise and they will, you know want to make sure that you are aware that, you know, it has to be digital. It can't be mechanical and, and then, Um, a a computer can be anything that can manipulate and do math and, and calculate. And yeah, I understand all that. But what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get to with this question is whenever I say, you know, what is a computer I'm referencing? Like my old desktop or a laptop, just something that ran windows and did everything. So what, uh, what, which of these new devices that we have, because we were constantly getting new form factors. Uh, We got the foldable phones, we got regular um, Android and, I- uh, and Apple phones. We have yeah, Nintendo switches. We have all these new devices, different sizes, um, either touchscreen or, or, you know, clamshell. But how do they compare to the laptop? And are they still a quote, you know, computer? And I, I keep wrestling back and forth. And the the long, long story short, I, I think the laptop's here to stay. I, I don't think it's going anywhere. I definitely think all of these others are just accessories or very specific niche devices. Um, I don't think my iPad can be my primary computer. I think there's there's too many limitations for what I need. So I, I will ask people, um, you know, what do you do on the computer? What, what makes the computer a computer? And I, I had two or three things that were really important to me, and I found out, most people I talked to, this wasn't an issue. So, for example, you know, uh, twenty years ago, what, what would be a computer? It'd be something I could get on the internet with. It would be something that I could write a letter, I could print something, and maybe I could check email or use Excel, just basic things. For me personally, whenever I'm thinking about, uh, I'm comparing my laptop to an iPad. On a laptop, I can make software for that laptop on it. On my iPad, I cannot make software. I cannot make iOS apps for an iPad, on an iPad. I I still need a, a laptop, so it's not self-hosting. It doesn't it doesn't let you to it doesn't like, doesn't let you make those apps. However, that's just a choice of Apple. That's just a software a decision or a tooling problem. Apple could release a version of Xcode and allow me to make apps tomorrow. The, the hardware of the iPad is capable of doing it. It's a powerful enough computer to make apps for itself. I'm just being limited by a, uh, a software decision. And is that is the fact that there's that software limitation, um, because it's in place, does that make this device, or does it prevent it from being a computer? No, I think they're all computers. I don't think it's, oh, I guess a PC a PC would be closer to the right term. So just some, oh man, TJ, this is tough for me.
1: Okay. So this is, this is what's going through my head right now. I, I feel like there is a definition of what, and there's a difference between the definitions of computer and like, what is a computer? And then what is a personal okay. computer? So the way that I see it is whenever I think of personal computer or whenever I say the word computer, I always think of, the first computers that I ever owned or okay. worked on when I was a kid. So my dad had a gateway desktop PC that ran Windows 98 second edition. My first personal computer was a chunky laptop that ran Windows XP. Um, and then I ended up building my first computer um, that ran. I think it ran Windows XP as well. But the thing that I was able to do with them is that I there was a freedom there. And that no matter what I wanted to install, no matter what operating system I wanted to run, nothing was restricting me from doing that. So if I, I remember like on these 2004, 2005 PCs, just for, you know, for giggles, I would install DOS 5 on them just because I wanted to. I could install Windows 3.1. I remember one time I was able to get my hands on a copy of Windows 95, and I installed that as well. Nothing stopped me from doing that. A computer, there's computers everywhere. My my TV is a computer. Like I said, my coffee maker, that's a computer. It's got a chipset in it. It processes instructions to make things happen. My Nintendo Switch is also a computer. I have a friend who was able to mod a Nintendo Switch actually built a little device for the Nintendo switch that allowed the Nintendo switch to accept keyboard inputs. It could also be made in a way that you could probably add a mouse to that, but the operating system for the Nintendo switch doesn't support a mouse. And this is where you get into this weird distinction between computer and personal computer where yes, anything could eventually with enough hacking be made a personal computer, but the software I feel is where the limitation is. If Nintendo doesn't give me access to mouse and keyboard support or my coffee maker is just a simple chips, probably like some very, very inexpensive Intel chipset or ARM chipset. Like there, there is a limitation there in the software that prevents it from being a personal computer. And that's where I get a little, feeling a little bit weird about calling the iPad a personal computer because the iPad I, and the Switch, I honestly put in the same hardware category. I'm not given a lot of freedom over what I can do with this thing. And the only flexibility and customization that I have is that which Apple or Nintendo give me. And the only applications I install are what they give me in the store. I don't have a choice as to what operating system I use. And my selection of software is limited. And so that's why I have a hard time being able to say, oh, yeah, an iPad is personal.
0: If you can imagine a spectrum with PC being on one side and a regular computer or just a general computer that's limited on the other side. It seems like the computers that we remember that we could really do we have the freedom on, like a Raspberry Pi, really far to the PC side, just, just completely on that side. Whereas the iPad is, like you were mentioning, it's much more limited. We don't have access to change the operating system. We don't have access to installing any software we want. And those, I guess the, the freedom is, is what I am is what I want. I, I want that freedom, but I also want the convenience that I'm going to get with, with the iPad. And part of that comes back to um, some of the changes that have happened in Catalina, uh, Mac OS Catalina, and even like Windows 8, Windows 10. So on my MacBook right now, I have the option to install Windows, maybe Linux, maybe, and then Catalina. If I try to install Windows, I have to use Apple's blessed Boot Camp um, program and and setup process. So I have to just use whatever they they allow me to use. I don't have the ability to just you know wipe the drive and install whatever operating system I want. I guess you probably could. I I don't want to say anything. Absolutely, because my hacker friends out there would would jump on me. But in general, you you have some freedom on Mac, but not complete freedom. Um, the my my big problem with Catalina right now, and the reason I think it's being pushed from the PC side over towards the computer side, is because all apps going forward need to be notarized by Apple. So I have to, as an app developer, I have to send my um, send parts of my app to them and get them to give me a signature. If I don't have internet, then I can't get that, or if I don't have an Apple account, I can't get that that signature, and I can't distribute my apps on the internet or sell them without Apple having a say. So that that kind of hurts. And The the other part was, the way that you typically restore an operating system on a Mac is you'll use internet recovery or uh, some hidden partition. You'll recover your driver, restore it to defaults. Those operating systems that you would reinstall are all controlled by Apple and are available on their website or, you know, from their mechanisms. I, I don't feel like I have the freedom like I did with that computer that you had, you know, that, you know, that old desktop that you had where you could just get a, a Linux CD and a magazine, drop it in and, and you know, completely change the operating system on the computer. I feel like this MacBook is, is being pushed and I'm losing freedoms. And I guess that's just something you get when you go into the Apple ecosystem is you're giving up freedom in exchange for uh, the fact that every printer that I try to connect to my MacBook just works. Um, where do I draw that line? Or, or if we have this spectrum, at what point is Shane okay with um, you know living in, in this piece of the spectrum? Is, I feel like right now the iPad is just too far beyond what I'm comfortable living in. But for other people, it's fine. For my wife, she can do almost everything with the iPad. She doesn't even sweat about the fact that she can't install a slightly different operating system or adjust drivers. It's just whatever she's given, that's the abilities of the machine. But I know that the machine is capable of so much more of compiling its own software, of reading, you know, network drives, of hosting server components, of, you know, beyond uh, multitasking, beyond what we're currently given, being able to handle multiple audio. Just, I know this device can do all of these things. And I, I feel handcuffed that I'm not able to take advantage, advantage of them. But at the end of the day, would I, well, what do you think TJ? I
1: think that there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I sense that you are upset. And so am I, about the application signing that is required from Apple for your application to run in macOS Catalina.
0: Yeah, it, it's... Correct. Once they introduce the store, it's a slippery slope, and you can just count the days from, you know, when they introduce the store to a time where you cannot install anything on a Mac unless it goes through Apple, just like the iPad. And and I'm seeing yes. that happen. Yes. And, and they're they're slowly doing it but they're they're tightening that grip, and every time that they squeeze, that's just a little bit of the freedom, or it's just sliding down that that line. And you were talking about not having a home. This kind of is is pushing me out of um, where I was living before. I just feel uncomfortable with it.
1: Right. So so do I. But you want to know something that's odd? Is that I feel less comfortable about way way less comfortable about my personal computer being turned into an appliance as in I I'm fully reliant upon Apple to, you know, take care of my safety. I'm much less willing to have that happen on my personal computer than I am on my mobile device.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: And here's why. My mobile device, for one, I need it to do two two maybe three things okay. really well email social media taking pictures and it can be argued uh, i want to be more. able to play games and make phone calls and uh, you know yes and make phone calls <laughs> this is what i need from it i don't want to be worrying about viruses i don't want to be worrying about instability which i had even with with you know phone calls mm-hmm. on my pixel 3a I I need this thing to be rock solid. I need to do these three things, three, four, five things need to do incredibly well. I need it to not crash and I need it to be, I I need, I I want it to be nice to use. I need to be able when, when Sprout is taking his or her first steps, I need to be able to pull that thing out and start taking video as soon as possible. And I need to know that I have that. I don't want my app to crash halfway. So this, my phone to me is more of an appliance. It I, I, I don't treat it as a personal computer. I don't really expect to have control over it in that way. But if I have an application that I download and I want to run it and it's made by a friend of mine, it's made by a community that I support, such as the Jailbreak community. I don't care what Apple thinks. This is my computer. I spent a lot of money on this computer. I want to run what I want to on it. I should have the right to tinker. And Apple shouldn't have a say in that. Which is why my future, what I see my future looking like is actually having a Linux desktop and using iOS on mobile. To treat
0: the mobile as an appliance, something that you can rely on to hit those four tasks that you need and, and not worry about it. But then on the computer, right. you'd still have the freedom using the full PC side.
1: Correct. Yeah. And it's like, and I would make sure to be using services so that, you know, you probably be using Gmail or this my I'll I'll talk about it in my pick a week uh, using Proton mail or something like that where I can or and, and Chrome where I can sync bookmarks. I can I can keep my PC and my iOS device in sync and it doesn't have to be a Macintosh. It can it can be Linux. Sure it may not be as comfy at times, but I have full freedom to do whatever I want. And that to me is more of a personal computer. That is what the definition of a personal computer is to me. Not only productivity, but the freedom to install what I want from wherever I want it, and not have a higher authority over myself. Like personal computer to me is a symbol of freedom in a way.
0: I remember back, yeah, uh, I think it was yeah, uh, is early, yeah, it was, it was January two thousand ten, and Steve Jobs went on stage and was announcing. The iPad to everybody, and I remember him talking about how this was to replace the category of the netbook, and the netbook uh, was this tiny little computer that it was portable. It, it's very similar in 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 spirit of the Microsoft Surface Duo that was announced. It, it's a full computer, and it would fit in your hand, and everything was really small. And it was cramped. It, the software didn't, it was slow. It didn't run very well. The battery life wasn't very good. The screen wasn't very good. A lot of limitations, but I had the freedom. And then he introduced the iPad, which was the exact opposite. No freedom, very limited, but the software on it was so much better than the netbook. And I remember him, uh, he he had like a list. Let me see if I can find the list. Yeah. Okay. He he had a list of all of the things that were better or needed to be better for you to even justify having this, this new category, this, this tablet and his things were like internet browsing, uh, checking email, viewing photos, viewing videos, music, games, eBooks, doing these things on a regular computer prior to the iPad, or I say regular computer, a regular personal computer prior to the iPad were painful. Like you'd have to, if you needed to use maps, you'd have to open up your web browser or you'd, open up some in Carta, not in Carta, Microsoft Map, I don't know, Microsoft had this mapping program that was very big and very um, featureful, but it was very difficult to use if you're in a bumpy car as a passenger trying to, you know, map something. Whereas an iPad had a, a very slimmed down version of Google Maps, and you could easily, you know, set destinations and get your directions. So the software on the iPad was so much better than the netbook. At just a few things. You lost your freedom. But for these, these smaller amount of things. It was much better. That was interesting. When he did his demo. He was sitting in a. looked like a leather recliner. Or some, some very comfortable living room chair. And he was demoing this sitting back. And just flicking through pages. Just very comfortable. Just uh, leisurely. And I think the iPad. Is that device. That sit at home. Use it recreational um, there's not a lot of input to this consumption device, which is a bummer because I want to use it for a production or uh for actual work and not just this leisurely stuff. so I guess that's part of me right now is I'm torn and I have this frustration because I'm trying to use the device for something it wasn't designed for, and I don't want to admit to myself that maybe I just need a little little laptop and just carry that around. Hmm. what do you think tj
1: i think that's what you need to do (laughs) um i don't i in in the ipad's current state i don't see it being a full-fledged personal computer um for for a lot of reasons but i do think that it's a great a lounge put throw netflix on check your email real quick i see see what Susie had to say about politics on facebook and then close it and go back to netflix you know um I, th- I think for stuff like that, it's great, but for you and I as software engineers um, and podcasters and for me, you know, used to do some video production stuff that like, it's not a pro tool in my opinion. Like you can hack it to make it a pro tool. Like, yes, mm. you can go and buy yeah. tripods. You can buy video recording equipment and you can make a movie on an iPad. I'm not saying that you can't do it, but I'm saying it's not optimal. You can write websites, you can write web applications on an iPad, but you're going to have to have some sort of SSH system set up where you can actually run that, run your web app on a, on a server. And then you're going to have to, it's, it's going to, it's not going to be fun. You're going to have to do all these workarounds to make it work. It's not a pro tool. It is very much a sit on the couch and do some stuff while your brain shuts down after a tough day at work. And then if you want to get actual work done, you pull out your laptop.
0: If I sit down and I get frustrated and I come up with a list of all of the things that I want to do on my iPad that I have trouble doing or are tedious or frustrating, if if I use the same list of tasks, but instead of saying iPad, I say netbook, then mentally I immediately think, just use a computer or just use a laptop. Don't even mess with this tiny little netbook to try to make these websites. And I guess I just haven't, I haven't, I never sat down and thought that through With this iPad. I just, it's so fun to use and I want to have an excuse to use it, but it's just not there yet. So full circle, we come back to last week when we were talking about the Duo. This Duo has the form factor closer to a computer, to a PC. It's, It's running Android, so you have more freedom. But the software's not there, like the iPad. So the this Duo, even immediately out of the gate, is closer to a netbook than an iPad. Is that enough to justify using it and to you know invest in that ecosystem, or am I better better off just going with the iPad and then living in the you know living in the moment, taking pictures of the the, the kids with the the great camera that's very reliable? This is this give me a lot to think about, TJ.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Most definitely. We're just going to see how it plays out and see what things look like. For me personally, to be completely honest, that form factor and that class of product is just not for me, just as an individual. Um, I find that for the size screens that I get, and I generally get either the plus size iPhones. in, In this case right now, I have an iPhone 11. If I need to get work done really fast, I can usually do it on my iPhone. Um, because I'm not trying to do anything super super intense on a portable device. Okay. Um so for me like I I will always have a phone and a computer. Like I I have found the iPad form factor and like that class of product, the mini computer, the netbook. I was the same way with the netbook. Um it's just been awkward. Yeah. I I it's it, do, it do, it's almost like it doesn't know what needs it wants to fulfill. Beyond entertainment, um, it it was yeah. It, it, I have the only word I can really use to describe it is that it seems to me as an awkward form factor to get pretty much anything done, but also it, it, it almost feels unnecessary.
0: Hmm. Okay, TJ, this is uh, this has been a tough one for me. Like, I, yeah, you're making me just want to use my phone now. Okay.
1: We're gonna have a lot to think about. We should follow up again next week on like w- what other thoughts about it. But honestly, I'm, I'm. Every time we talk about Linux, we should have an episode where we just talk about our Linux experiences. Every time I talk about going back to Linux, it makes me happy. <laughs> it makes me excited because it's I know it's like okay, well, I know everything's gonna pretty much work ninety percent of the way, and then I'm gonna spend a, a good bit of time trying to make it ninety five percent. Realize that it's not worth it. Yeah, and either go back to Mac OS or just accept my fate. So
0: we'll see. I want to, uh, I'm going to talk about one more topic and then, uh, get to our picks of the week. Cool. Let's do it. What happened to screensavers? Did, like I remember having a screensaver running all the time. I would have keyboard shortcuts to start the screensaver and where I would, you know, set my computer to, to go into idle after one minute, just so I could see these screensavers and I'd have like just the coolest stuff. And then over time, we like just started using the ones that were built into the operating system. And then we got to this new world where we just let the screen auto dim after a few minutes and there's no screensaver at all, but they were so fun. Do you have any, uh, any screensavers that just like stick out in your mind?
1: So I do actually, one of them was super cheesy, uh, growing up a huge Sonic the Hedgehog fan. There was a game that you could buy. I remember buying it at office Depot because that's where you went to buy <laughs> software back in the day. Um, it was the Sonic and Knuckles collection. And it came with <laughs> Sonic 3, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, and Sonic and Knuckles, which are all, th- all basically the same game when you think about it. Um, and it had just the most obnoxious screensavers known to man. And it's stuff like Sonic running past your screen. There's like a static image. Oh, yeah. And it'll just play like obnoxiously loud music. <laughs> and then Sonic would just like run past it and run past like lines. And it would just like clear it. For the next picture to appear, um, so there was that one, and then do you remember the Matrix screen? Oh yes! Oh, that was so cool.
0: Oh, the code, code falling so down, cool. the the green code. Yes,
1: so cool. And I remember I had never watched the Matrix, but. It was actually the first version of Linux that I installed on my computer. I saw it and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. This is my screensaver <laughs> from now on. But yeah, man, that's kind of a dead industry, but there, there used to be companies where all they did was make screen screensavers. I believe there was a company called, I think it was called after
0: dark, oh, after dark, the toaster, like uh, windows 95 yes. or windows three one, you you'd have, you you'd get the screensaver pack and have like a hundred or, or some absurd number of screensavers. And they were all, terribly cheesy like you can go and we'll, we'll put a, look, a link into the show notes on youtube we you can go through and see some of these screensavers but they were just terrible but they were so fun and you were always just wondering like, what which one's gonna pop up next and i forgot about sound they used to play how obnoxious would that be in my office right now if it if you know five laptops that are around all just started playing music like that would be okay maybe it died for a good reason but there was not- Oh, I
1: think it definitely did. <laughs> it definitely died for a good reason. I, I mean, if you go into Mac OS, you still have some screensavers. <laughs> um, but they just don't really they're just not really used. I don't even know what Windows has in regards to screensavers these days. But like, um, yeah, they're just I I guess if you just want to be able to have your photo library display yeah. as like your screensaver, like that that makes sense. But we just they were so creative back in the day. Yes. I'll be honest.
0: I kind I kind of miss it. If you go back to Linux or install some Linux distro, I'm sure you'll be able to load up just an absurd number of screensavers. I, I just know it's going oh, some can. package. Um, oh, you can. A couple of reasons I think the screensavers went away. Uh, LCDs, we, started getting to, uh, we switched from the CRT screens to LCD flat screens. And the first versions had problems with ghosting, had problems with burn-in. And people would just uh turn off the panels. So then we started getting into this, this method or the, this uh behavior. We would we, we would just turn off our screens after we were idle for so many minutes. And that tends to still be the way we're we're doing it. And then when you go to laptops, you need to save battery. But um hmm. Do you remember the those screensavers that were actually beneficial to the world that were searching for aliens or trying to, you know, cure cancer?
1: SETI at home. I actually have a coworker who has SETI at home running it and he's been running it for years and years and years and they still haven't found aliens, but you know, there's a, that's, that's what it was used for. But I do remember the, the, the one that was supposed to help cure cancer. I don't remember what it was called, but SETI at home was the, um, extraterrestrial life detection thing. I wonder. But I do
0: remember that. If SETI at home is still actually searching for aliens or if they're just like mining for Bitcoin. On your machines because that would be A much better use Like maybe not
1: (laughs) I mean to fund The uh, actual Research that's going on maybe I don't know I feel there would be an uproar
0: You gotta pay for all those flights for everybody to fly To Area 51 once a year That's right somebody's gotta do it Okay (laughs) picks of the week Picks of the week I wanna hear yours first Okay um, weird story I did the personal cloud project a couple weeks ago and uh, last week and this week has been music. This is the new stage I'm on trying to figure out what's my music play. I am currently subscribed to Amazon music, Google play, YouTube music, Apple music, and Spotify. Thinking about some Pandora. I have a problem where each one of these services has one like one or two things that are awesome and none of the others have. And then I, each service has one or two things that are like deal breakers. So as of today, the family favorite is Apple music. As of 24 hours ago, the family favorite was Spotify. And I I keep going back on it, but Apple music integrates with the iPhone incredibly well. And a lot of cars and the newer cars that have um, iPhone ports, they run and, and, and perform better with the native music app on an iPhone than they would with any third-party app. So, for example, uh, we're driving in the car and we're listening to Spotify. If we hit the rewind button or the you know previous track button, it might not work. If um, you are listening to a playlist and you end it, it might start a random playlist. It might start the same. It's not consistent. On Apple Music, it's very consistent and very reliable. However, I didn't have a good experience finding playlists and discovering things on, on Apple Music. On Spotify, it was it felt like GitHub. I would open up Spotify and like all these cool playlists popped up and I knew all the, the songs. When I tried doing the same thing on, on YouTube Music or Google Play, I would get weird stuff, stuff. I just, the algorithm was wrong. This is not what I'm interested in, but I would receive it. And Amazon music just, it it sits around there. Poor, poor Amazon music, but, uh, it, Amazon music works better with the Alexa. So we have this Alexa's all, you know, throughout all of the house. And if we want to play a song, we can play it in any room and just very convenient with Spotify I can only play it on one speaker at a time. And if I play it, I can't listen to it on my phone at the same time. And if you have a family plan, then one person in the family would have the, you know, the Alexa account and the other people don't. And you can't, it it was just a mess with Apple music. It's a little less, um, restricted and Apple just created the, the web interface for Apple music. So that's neat. Um, but Spotify, all my friends use Spotify, everybody's sharing all these playlists, and i can't listen to them on apple music so as of today um apple music is is my music choice but 24 hours ago it was spotify so my pick of the week was an app called an ios app called houdini you could attach your spotify and apple music account and then it would synchronize playlists between the two different services so migrating from uh, apple music to spotify was a 30 second process and i had all of my music there so that was it's still a great app, but um, um, it, it's um looking back, I, I don't know, TJ. You use Spotify. What do you think?
1: So for me, Spotify makes the most sense because it's what my friends uh-huh. use. Um, so we can share playlists yep. together. If everybody was on Apple Music, I might be on Apple Music. But it kind of comes back to the platform independence thing where I don't want... Apple to yeah, there well, not. I guess it doesn't really have anything to do with Apple remo- removing music, but I want to have a music platform that I know that no matter what operating system I am using, I can use. I can use that platform, um so I can use Spotify on Linux, Windows, mac os iOS, Android, my Raspberry Pi, my Xbox One. Whereas on Apple Music, I you can only use mac os or my my iPhone and Android, um, and Android. You know, um, that I'm not going to be able to, you know, play some music while I play a video game. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be able to make it work with my raspberry Pi. Yeah. So that's why I personally have stuck with Spotify. Pretty much the only reason I is
0: think the, the lock because not lock is a wrong term, but integrations.
1: Yes. And just that there's a client everywhere. And if I don't have a client, if I've got a web browser, I can use the web client. Yeah.
0: That's one of the reasons that I, I, you know, went all in for it for a for a little while, um, is because of the, you know, you could use it on Alexa. It the Google Play Google Music, sorry, Google Play and YouTube Music can't play on the Alexa. Amazon Music can play on the Alexa, Um, but yeah. Oh, stop it, Alexa, stop. (laughs) Sorry about that. But the
1: Google Home Mini can do both.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah. The Google Home Mini can do, do Google Music or it can do uh, Spotify.
0: Hmm. Can it do Apple yeah. Music?
1: It's I got rock, paper, scissors it. here, TJ. I'd, I can't win. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much you are stuck in the Home Assistant based off of, you know, whatever phone you're using or I don't know. They they lock those down. That's a whole nother topic. I would like to just build one with a Raspberry
0: Pi and just do whatever I want with it. I like it. it. What I should do is just That's another topic. We should come back to I that. Just buy the, the fifty songs that I really want to listen to on loop and just <laughs> just have them. Just throw them yep. on there. Okay, what's your pick? Just throw them on
1: there. My pick of the week is Proton Mail. Um Proton Mail is a mail service, very similar to, you know, your standard Gmail, your Yahoos, your Microsoft services, and all that, except it is encrypted mm-hmm. and you have end-to-end mm-hmm. encryption with other Proton Mail uh-huh. users. And it is like everything is super, super secure. Nobody, it, all your messages, everything that you receive is encrypted by their servers. So you don't have anybody like scanning your emails for, to display ads mm-hmm. or anything. Um, and it's a paid mm-hmm. service. It's five bucks. A, it's, well, it, it has a free plan. But it also has a paid service where you can get more storage and whatnot. And so I like that because I know that they're not making a bunch of money off of ads. Um, so that's kind of what that's. I'm I'm thinking. I'm very much thinking that I might be switching from Gmail over to ProtonMail. Um, and just kind of have platform independence, if you will, from, you know, a big name tech company towards more of a, okay, well, this is a... Um, Encrypted mail service that's based in Switzerland. Switzerland has very um, strict privacy laws, um, that and I know that nobody's going to be able to get into this. And even if somebody did happen to hack the Proton Mail servers, they would just see a bunch of gibberish because there's nothing to see because it's encrypted. Um, which makes me feel very happy.
0: TJ, you're hitting me in the heart. I have a, uh, I have so many thoughts on this. So many thoughts. I don't know if I. Yeah, let's see. Oh hear my it. goodness. Okay, first of all, Proton Mail the founder and the CTO are just amazing they're both doctors they both worked at cern um the CTO i think worked on the like the large the large hadron collider like these the, these both these guys are brilliant um the the CEO um got his phd in physics from harvard and got a degree from caltech and like uh, both these guys are just brilliant and phenomenal so awesome job guys um two two concerns possibly one being the emails uh service is hosted in Sweden. So as as we found out with Snowden all tra- internet traffic coming from the United States to other countries could be collected could be looked at. So if it was hosted in the United States and you were sending email to people in the United States you're not crossing the uh the ocean you're not crossing those fiber lines and your internet or your your data is less likely to be Stored and tracked forever, we, we don't know. Um, with with email in general, if depending on the agreements between the two, the sender and the receiver, the data is, is by default unencrypted. And you were mentioning how Proton Mail encrypts it if you email something from a Proton Mail customer to another Proton Mail customer. That's absolutely true. I think that's S Mime or one of these technologies. Uh-huh. Gmail has the same thing if you email from a Gmail account to another Gmail account and they both are going to United States data centers, then the email is encrypted and it's not being uh, sent across the ocean and less likely, less less likely to be tracked by um, governments. So on on the privacy side, that is a a benefit for Gmail if you live in the United States. But the negative is what's Google going to do with it? We don't know. Proton mail, um, they're stricter about security. You're less likely to have, yeah, like you're mentioning, any ads or anything in that email. So that's awesome. But uh, yeah, just the fact that it's going across the ocean is interesting. Um, the fact that it's only Proton Mail to Proton Mail customers that get the encryption, unless they have deals with other um, email service providers, so you can have S or some encryption. Gmail might still be the best bet because. Gmail has like 1.2 billion accounts or some, some absurd number. So that means you you have a higher chance of sending an encrypted mail to somebody if you're sending Gmail to Gmail or you know, Google Apps for your domain or G Suite than you would from a ProtonMail to a ProtonMail. But th- those are just my thoughts. I don't know. If, um, I don't know. It's fun.
1: True. The, the, from there, the only question is what sort of... Client Scott the client side keyword scanning could google be doing to absolutely help with that. yeah
0: that, that is an issue
1: Yeah. You know, um which should be which would be resolved using proton you wouldn't have to worry about that as much if that's something that right. you're worried about um but i didn't know that google gmail to gmail had uh intent encryption yeah. that's that's pretty
0: a lot of the bigger i'm um, I'm not sure if Office 365 does it to Gmail but Office 365 to itself it will still be encrypted too. A lot of the big players are are doing this S-mime stuff. And and it, again you can do it between uh different providers as long as you both agree. Um but the ProtonMail uh, these guys are are on top of it. They are um you know adding all of these things that they possibly can. So that's in their best interest. But being across the ocean does um it do, does raise a red flag with me.
1: Right. No, that makes sense. That's completely valid. Anyway,
0: I want you to sign up and tell me how it goes.
1: Sounds good. Sounds good to have the iOS app installed. I'm probably going to try and just give it a shot. Use it as my main client for a little bit and see nice. what happens. But we'll see. Podcasting's hard, Shane. Yeah. Good night, TJ. Good night, Shane. Have a good one.